morning. Have a seat. How many of you were shocked by the white stuff in the yards today? Yeah? yeah. To those who are online that didn't want to drive in it, hello. Good to see you. Glad you were all here. Um, so last week I went to a thing. It was at like this arena. And as you walk in, there was this message on the screen. Um, and it, it said, uh, text your questions in. And I was like, oh, this is awesome, because it's one of those things where it's like, I want this person that I'm here to hear, hear speak answer my question, okay? And so it's like, okay. So I get my phone out, and I enter. I scan the QR code like you're supposed to, because I was like, does that even work? Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I start thinking, like, what do I want to ask? And then I freeze, because this person, I've, I've read their books. I've listened to their podcast. I've I've followed them on the, on the Twitterverse or whatever it's called. And it's like, I would love to hear this person's opinion on, on my question. Okay, so let's figure out a question. And I started getting, I got the code, I started typing in a question and it was like, nope, I don't want to ask that one. Delete. And then, okay, do I want to ask? No, I don't want to ask that one. There's so many questions. And then you start worrying about how is my question going to be catchy enough so it becomes like a resume, right? How is my question going to be catchy enough to alert the person who's reading this question backstage that he should answer my question? Pressure. And then I start wordsmithing the whole thing. What if my question is really dumb? Because there is a such thing as a dumb question. Don't believe that. There is a dumb question. And I didn't want mine to be the dumb question. So it's like, okay, can't do that. And I just went through like this whole delete wordsmith. That's the rug. This guy uses big words. Use a big word to catch his attention. It's like, okay, there I have it. And I hit send. And I was like, okay, that was a good one. They're going to want to answer this question. And then the question and answer time comes. And I'm like, okay, my question was awesome. And they didn't answer it. I don't even think they read it. It was probably there too late to get any kind of response from any of the handlers. And I, my question was ignored. And I was kind of sad because my question was great. I'll email them and see what he can, you know, maybe he'll respond just to me because my question was just that good. But put yourself in my shoes. Let's say you have a captive audience with your favorite author, politician, philosopher, thinker, teacher, whatever. What's your question? Have you ever thought of that? If you could ask one question to this one person, what would you ask? Are you nervous about it? Maybe you're like, nope, I'd ask this. My dad used to say we'd get into these theological things. And I, I, he'd go, well, I guess I'll ask them when I get there. And it, for him, that was good enough. And I'm like, no, I want to know now. But he's going to wait until after he's dead to ask the question. He's probably found out the answer. And I was probably right. But whatever. Uh, we'll take that up when I get there. But what would you ask? So the disciples walked with Jesus for a number of years. And they sat with him and heard him teach and teach. And they saw him do the miracles. They saw him uh, walk on water, calm the storms, do all of the miracles, even more than what we see in scriptures. And they asked Jesus a couple questions. One was, explain this whole seed thing, because I don't get it. And the other one they asked them, and it's one of the only questions that Luke records, was teach us how to pray. Of all the questions that you could ask Jesus, would that be the question? Probably not. I'd want to know more about some other things that we debate today, what he thought that. But for them, in that time, the only question that they seemed to care about was 
teach us to pray. It's in Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a particular place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's easy to skip back or sit back like I just did and go, really, that's what you asked? You could have offered so much better ideas. Does that constitute a dumb question? The answer is no. But is that that a dumb question? No, that's a good question, but we could have had a a better one. Uh, The question makes sense if you think about the way that they lived. For them, prayer was pretty wooden. It was morning, noon, and night. And there were certain prayers that they said. There's the Shema prayer. There's the, uh, I'm blanking on the words, but there was a noontime prayer. And there was an evening prayer. And there was prayer in between. But it was pretty standard type prayers. But when they looked at Jesus and watched him pray, and he would escape often to go pray, there was something different about the way he prayed that caused them to ask a question. And... When he prayed, things happened. Miracles took place. The dead people came back alive. Uh, uh, People were healed. When he prayed after his prayer times, the world changed. And so, Jesus, how should we pray? There was also something more about Jesus' prayer. If you look closely at it, uh, he didn't have to trick God to get his attention. He, he, he just talked to God as if there was an established relationship that was already there. Jesus' prayer was invitational. It was a personal prayer. It was like he actually was talking to God and God was listening. And they wanted the same thing. And if you think about it, when we think through prayer, we want the same thing. We want to know that God is hearing us. We want to know that God's going to move. We want this relationship with God that Jesus had, and we want it through our prayers. It's, not, it's all over our culture. If you go to the local bookstore of Amazon.com and type in prayer, you get thousands of responses of how to pray. You have the Jabez prayer which, cool, that was just a little short one, and I guess it worked. You have the circle drawing prayer. Then you have hundreds and hundreds of free resources, which I downloaded just to see, but one of them was the warrior's prayer, and that one was interesting. But you have all of these ideas of how we should pray, and everybody taking their own spin, some of them not even looking at the way Jesus told us to pray, just going off on their own. In fact, even Hollywood gets into it, how we should pray. They kind of make fun of how awkward it is. And, and Roger's going to hit a clip. Maybe you've seen this. Go ahead, Rog. You got I wish we can all make the same faces that Robert De Niro makes, right? Those are trademarked. But when we think about prayer, some of us, when we're asked to pray for our meals or something, we clam up. It gets awkward. I wonder what it was like for you know, Jesus to be sitting there with, uh, with Peter one time, and we laugh at this, but what if he asked Peter to pray for the Sabbath meal? Do you think Peter was like, uh, you're God, and you want, and so like, I wonder if Peter had a day by day by day kind of prayer. We don't know, but prayer is one of those things that we all assume we know how to do, but we really don't do it at all. So the questions that the disciples asked, that's a, it's a very good question. And who better to ask than Jesus? And the crazy part is, Jesus answered the question. He didn't give them like he usually does with questions that the religious leaders would ask with a, a, a parable that is super hard to understand. And, and then when pressed about it, he would always respond, uh, if you have ears to, to hear, you'll get this. And if he goes, I guess I don't have ears, so I don't get it which is another way of saying, if you know what I'm talking about, you know. If you know, you know. No, he instead gives us and the disciples a way to pray. 
And the way he tells them to pray or shows them to pray was more as an invitation to prayer. And it's an invitation for God's presence and power to infiltrate every part of our lives. It was a model. It's not saying that we have to pray this and only this. But in Jesus' answer, we see a template on how we can pray and invite God's presence into our world. I'm going to read Matthew's version of it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but but deliver us from evil. How many of you know the King James version of that prayer, right? That's the one that's usually in my head. But we know this. And so over the next few weeks through Lent, as we go through Easter, we're going to be camping out in that prayer because that prayer invites us into a life-changing practice that invites the Holy Spirit and God to infiltrate our lives. What would it look like if we started to pray and actually understood what we were doing? Because when Jesus answered the question, it was much more than a simple prayer. Instead, he showed us how we can make that invitation to God. And so through the Lord's prayer, we see not only the invitation, but we also see that there is a desire on God's part to be a part of our lives. And it's inviting him through prayer. Prayer is an invitation to a deeper relationship with God. And if you think about it, prayer and communication with God is something that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This is our, our role as humans is to communicate with God. This is what one of the things we were created for. And it's not just something that was invented you know, in the New Testament. No, this is part of who we're supposed to be. In the Old Testament or in the very beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve weren't just created to hang out naked in the garden and have fun and eat fruit, although that might sound fun, but they were actually given a role to have. They were put there with a purpose. They were given a task and a calling, and they were called God's representatives. We see this when God says, I've made you in my image. They made you to take on my likeness. You, Adam and Eve, and us as humans become God's representatives. Some might call them his viceroys. It's a nice way of saying co-rulers. We represent God's presence to earth. And so in this new, freshly, literally freshly budding creation that God made, he said, Adam and Eve, you become my presence. You become my representative. You're placed on earth to administrate God's will, his loving will on earth as it is in heaven. When you reflect what God is doing, you represent God. And that's our purpose. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Timothy. He says that we are co-rulers of Christ's reigns. We are viceroys. We we co-labor with God. We have a relationship to represent what God is doing on earth. And if you look at this word represent, it's re-present. And so when they look at us, we represent what God looks like on earth. We remind creation of who God is. And if we're going to do that properly, and if you're going to be a representative of somebody, you best have a way of communicating, right? If you're a representative, we see this with ambassadors. If they represent our country to another country, they have a direct line to the country because we represent that person. And so there's a communication. So it makes sense that part of this communication so that we fill our role as human beings, as God's representatives, is that we have a way to talk with the person we're representing. 
In Genesis 3.8, Adam and Eve had it. In the cool of the day, in the morning, they took a walk with God and they talked. It was a walk and talk meeting or whatever you call it in your corporate setting. It was, a, it was touch base. What's going on? Talk to me. Let me help you. And, and, and there's a relationship happening. God knew Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve knew God and they knew what he wanted and, what, and, and, and he knew what they needed and they worked together. We see this later in biblical history. Moses was chosen to be a representative of Israel. In Exodus 33, he is God's representative to the whole nation. Exodus 33 says this, uh, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend every morning in the tent of meeting. And then Moses would come back completely changed because of his time with God. And then they would know where to go, how to, how to act and how to live. In both of these instances, we see that there is a relationship They're partnering with God, and a crucial element to this partnership is communicating. Prayer is a way for us to communicate with God. If you want to have a deeper, stronger relationship with God, you have to communicate. We need to talk. Communication is the foundation to proper relationships. You don't ask me, ask a therapist. Most of the relationship, relationship? Most of the relationship problems that come about is because of a lack of communication. You and your spouse or you and your friends aren't getting along. Well, have you talked? No. Well, there's, there it is. We need a communication. We relate to each other just as much and, and as well as we communicate with them in a various ways and in, in, a, in a variety of purposes and, and areas. Communication is necessary. So if the central goal, follow me here, if the central goal of creation is to represent God to the rest of the world, it would only make sense that God would empower us to be in relationship with him. And how do we have a better relationship with him? Prayer. This is how we communicate with God. We align ourselves, or in some cases, we realign ourselves to what God's will is and purpose is. And we do this through communicating to him through prayer. Therefore, when we pray, we invite God's will, his presence, his kingdom, his power, his grace, and his comfort into any situation of which we are praying for. Through prayer, we invite God into our worlds. And it's more than just a quick phrase that we have, you know, before meals, somehow, Lord Jesus, bless this piece of pizza and make it beneficial to my body or whatever it is. It's more than just that. It's an invitation to a relationship for God to be a part of every single part of our lives. And as we pick apart the Lord's Prayer in these next five weeks, you'll begin to see how that is actually what Jesus was modeling. This is what's so attractive about the Lord's Prayer. It was different because it was profoundly rooted in the purpose that prayer meant, was, or the purpose that prayer was given to us for, an invitation for relationship. It's prayer that reminds us that God desires to be in a relationship with us. And in reality, the main purpose of prayer has little to do with us asking God for things. It has more to do with a faith-filled, ongoing, loving relationship with the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of this world who wants to be a part of your life. But here's the issue. Prayer is something that we look at Barna polls or research polls or whatever, the church has a hard time with. 
prayer meetings happen. They've happened here. They happen at churches all over. And prayer meeting is one of the sparsely attended services, not just at Bethany Ballard, but in churches nationwide. If we are supposed to be God's communicators or God's representatives on earth, we're not doing a good job actually taking him seriously about prayer. Prayer sounds great. It's the first thing that we say, well, I'll pray for you with that. That sounds good. But do we actually do it? Do we actually understand what our prayers are for? And if we do, why are they absent from our lives? There's a lot of barriers when it comes to prayer. Perhaps uh, you have a couple of them. I've tried to talk to a couple of them. But for one thing, prayer, let's be honest, prayer can be kind of boring, right? We used to have this prayer meeting in my college dorm room. Uh, It started at 11 p.m., which it's already sketchy for me after 10.30 11 p.m. in my dorm room. My roommate planned it, so I had to be there. And, and uh, I would sit there on our couch. We had a, a, a larger room because he was the RA, and I just roomed with him. And so we had a couch, and we'd invite a bunch of guys over for prayer, and they'd start praying. And they made the mistake of having me close. Because after about 15 minutes in a comfy chair, well, anytime, I can fall asleep anywhere. Uh, but in a comfy chair, in a warm room, quiet, my eyes are already closed, Brad's out. Ask my wife. It doesn't take much for me to fall asleep. And so they'd have me close, and they thought that I was just in silent prayer (laughs) until I snored. Prayer can be that way. Maybe you've fallen asleep during prayer. Maybe it's like, well, I'm going to wake up early to pray, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's 7.30, and it's like, you got to get up and go. Prayer can be born. You're not alone if that happens to you. Peter and John invited with Jesus to go pray on the mountain and right before he's crucified. What did they do? They fell asleep. Sometimes that happens and it keeps us from praying more. Uh, we're not alone in that. Uh, so it becomes a barrier for us. Well, every time I try to pray, I fall asleep. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. It happens. Another barrier that we come to is sometimes we feel that our prayers are horribly ineffective. We pray for something and nothing happens. Or, or we, you know, it's like God doesn't answer our prayer. We, we come away thinking that. And I know this feeling. We've prayed for people in our lives, for folks to get better. We've prayed for situations to change. And they don't. And we sit and wonder, Carrie and I both sit and wonder and go, why were we praying about this in the first place? It didn't seem to work. Nothing seems to happen. And so you throw up your hands in exhaustion and hurt uh, and, and you're tired from your failed expectations and so you stop praying. We start to believe that prayer is never answered. However, that's not the case. Jesus promised us that our prayers will be answered. Sometimes the answer is yes. You get what you pray for and you're like, awesome, it worked. And, and, and then sometimes it's no and it's painful. You wanted something You wanted something to go your way, and it didn't happen. The person got sicker. The person died. The relationship stayed broken. Uh, Something you really wanted didn't come. Sometimes the answer is no. And it has to do with a lot of other things, and we'll get to that in a minute, but sometimes the answer is even worse than no, and it's wait. You pray for something. The answer is not no. The answer is not yes. It's keep asking keep praying. We see this all through scripture. Abraham was promised a child and now he's praying for 70 years and the child's still not here. He's told to wait. David was handed the kingdom and he prays and prays and prays and 30 years later he's finally getting. And sometimes the answer is wait. 
And that's difficult. And there's a host of reasons for this to happen. Uh, The most basic variable in our prayers is the will of God. God's will affects every single aspect of our prayers. And it's not something where we sit back then and go, well, we have to determine God's will. No, No, that's not the point. Sometimes we want something and God's like, I don't want that for you. You're praying for the wrong thing and that affects your prayers. John says this, that even though God's will does affect us, we should still pray in 1 John 5, 14. We pray and we ask for God's will to happen. Yet sometimes what we want and what God wants is different. Other times what affects our prayer answers is this nasty little thing called free will. We know about it. Some of us believe in it. I do. We have free will. It happens like this. Uh, I remember in junior high, I had a crush on a girl. And I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would make her have a crush on me. She had free will. She chose not to. I dodged a bullet on that one, but you know, okay. But it's, it goes like that. We pray and pray and pray for this relationship to be restored. And we want it to be restored. God wants it to be restored. That person has a choice in the matter. It doesn't work. And so they're choosing not to. Uh, I, I pray for some of my friends to turn from addictions, and it's their choice on whether or not they turn from addictions. I, uh, I, I pray for some of my friends to meet Jesus, and they have met Jesus, but they haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. It's their choice to do it or not. God does not come around and say, I command you. Then we wouldn't be grace-filled agents. We'd be robots at that matter, and that's not how we were created. Sometimes we pray and the other person doesn't want to respond. We see this all through scripture. We have a free will to decide. Sometimes free will hinders our prayers. Another variable that is kind of wonky is is there is a spiritual warfare happening every time we pray. Do you know that the moment you sit down to talk with God, you are stepping on the spiritual battlefield? There are demons, the angelic realm, who are trying and fighting for God's will to not be done in our world. Daniel is one of the most poignant parts about this. Thessalonians talks about it, Thessalonians 2, but listen to this passage in Daniel 10. The context is Daniel has been praying for something and he's a little bit frustrated because what he's praying for, he hasn't heard from God in return. And so he comes to God and he's kind of at the end of his rope. He's been waiting for two days and most of us go, two days? Seriously? Wow. I'd love to wait for two days. Uh, but he's, he's a little frustrated, and then he gets his answer. He continued to pray, do not be afraid, Daniel. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel now. He appeared to him and says, since the day you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. What's that say? Your prayers are heard. And I have come to respond to them. What's that say? There is an answer coming, so there's both happening here. But the prince of the Persian a kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Who's the prince of the Persian kingdom? Scholars would say that's a demonic presence or it could be Satan himself. Resisted them for 21 days. Then Michael, one of my chief princes, came to help me. So much so that they were being resisted to the point where Gabriel, the archangel, had to call in for backup in order to get the prayer to Daniel. Then where did I go? Came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision uh, concerns a time yet to come. And then after he explains this, he has to get back to help Michael because the prince of Persia battle is still happening. All of this happens when we pray. 
There are variables that go into our answers. There are variables that make our barriers. And oftentimes we look at these barriers and we go, what's the point? The command is still clear. We are to pray. Even because there is, or even in the face of a barrier, we keep praying. We are to pray and pound the doors of the throne room, as Jesus describes in Matthew, down with our prayers. We pray in full confidence that God's presence is going to break through even our barriers. Jesus said it this way, truly I tell you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, move from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, this is an interesting thing to talk about because normal times, normal times we look at prayer and go, well, prayer changes me and has nothing to do with God. It's me aligning to God's will, which is true. But when you look back at the breadth of the Old Testament, what you start to see is that prayers not only change us, and they will, prayers have the ability to change God as well. Look at Abraham. He's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's communicating with God. Abraham has the ability to talk God down from 100 to 10. And God goes, sounds good. We'll go with that. Uh, Moses comes down from, from the mountain and the people of Israel have been worshiping a golden calf. They don't know how it got there. It's kind of a funny story. But that was Aaron's excuse. I don't know what happened. I put the gold in and boom, here's the calf. What do you know? God's angry. God says, I'm going to wipe everybody off of the face of this desert. And Moses goes, wait. I need, uh, we need to figure this out, God. Don't, don't do it. And then there's a key phrase in there that God relents. God chose not to. Amos, in, in Amos 5, says, Lord, do not send the locusts. And guess what? God doesn't send the locusts. Hezekiah prays for 10 more years. And God, you know, he was on his deathbed. Hezekiah says 10 more years and God goes, okay. Now we could debate this all along. Did God really want this? Was God really okay with 10? He just wanted Abraham to ask. Well, I don't know. We can go for hours and hours and hours. There's dissertations written about this. But what we see through prayer is it's not just us that changes. God changes. And he responds to our prayers. It's called being in a relationship with somebody and communicating what you desire to the person who loves you beyond anything that you can ask or imagine. And he will give you what you want and what you need, and respond to your prayer. So this idea about Jesus saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, there's a couple things here. A mustard seed was the smallest seed that they ever knew. They hadn't seen the poppy seed yet, but they'd seen the mustard seed, which was pretty small. And he says, it doesn't take much. You pray with the smallest amount of faith, and God will intervene. He doesn't say that your attitude about the mountain will change. Does he? No. What happens to the mountain? moves. Your prayers can move God. Your prayers can move situations. There are dozens of examples of that. It's not just your attitude that moves. Sometimes your mount, the mountain is you. Yes, absolutely. But sometimes the mountain needs to be moved and God's just saying, ask me and I'll move it. God responds to our requests. The invitation throughout scripture is the same. Pray, pray, 
ask me to be a part of this. Invite God into this section of your life and he will be a part of this section in your life. When we pray, we invite God's movement into the situations that we are praying for. Prayer in scripture, prayer in our lives, prayer in Jesus' life is the most significant activity that you and I could ever be a part of. Yet we skip out of it because we have these barriers. If we want God to move, we pray. If you want God to move in your marriage, maybe a book might be good, and that, that's great, but the first thing that you should do in your marriage if you want God to move is pray together. If you want God uh, to be a part of how you raise your children, pray with your kids. Pray for your kids. One of the funnest times for me, and funnest is the word now, one of the best times for me is when we put our boys to sleep and I ask them to pray and they pray for the wildest things, that they would beat this level on plants versus zombies. Cool. Or that Caleb will feel better or Judah will feel better or we thank you, you know, the other night Judah was praying for East Palestine, Ohio, things that he picked up for the earthquake in Turkey and he's praying for all of this. And I'm going, dude, this is awesome. If you want God to be a part of your kid's life, pray with them. Pray for them. If you want God to be a part of your anxiety, invite him into your anxiety. I do this probably a couple times a day. But if I don't, I'm handling it on my own. And that never works out well. The invitation is there. God says, I want to be a part of this, but I'm a polite God. I won't come unless I'm asked. Okay, Lord, come. Be a part of this. If you want God, if you want to be a fantastic leader in your job and you want, you, you want to take the reins, you want to be promoted, where does it start? Prayer. The command is simple. Pray. Right where you are, as you're going now, just pray. And here's three ways that we can start praying and have a sustained prayer life. As we go through these next few weeks, there's going to be more, but here's three ways to start. To pray. The first thing is keep it simple. Jesus' parable in Luke, 9, uh, Luke 18, it shows the tax collector and the Pharisee. And the, the Pharisee stands and, and he's kind of saying, this is how you shouldn't pray. Uh, uh, in Luke 18, the, the Pharisee says, oh Lord, thank you. This was the first sermon I ever taught was on this passage, which is wild. Uh, but he says, oh Lord, thank you that I'm not like this person, a tax collector. They are sinners. And the Pharisee's just going on and on and on and on and on. And then Jesus contrasts him with this tax collector who all he has to say is, have mercy on me. Simple. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus poses the question afterwards, whose prayer was answered? Or whose prayer had, was most effective? The simple prayer. First thing that you have to do with prayer is honestly keep it simple. The next thing to do with prayer is keep it simple. Keep it real. Right? So in Matthew 6, 7, and 8, Jesus is telling his disciples about the Pharisees. He's just come off of the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. Again, he's, he's picking on them, but he's also calling out their hypocrisy, who go on for days and days about prayer, and they use these fantastic words, and they make the prayer all about them, and it's hypocrisy is what Jesus calls it. Instead, Jesus says, it's between you and your Father in heaven. Don't pray to impress people. 
Don't pray to get their attention. You don't have to have the fantastic words. You don't have to be like me sitting in my chair at the arena trying to wordsmith the right words to get this person to respond to my question. That's not how it works because that's not me. Be you. One of my favorite stories that ever happened, stories, this event, is I used to have a friend in college and uh, he was kind of, I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord when he showed up for his freshman year. I was a senior, it was my first senior year. And uh, he came in and his name was Brandon, but we called him Bubba. Bubba, you might've heard me tell the story before. Bubba was like this tall, he was huge. He was recruited to play line at UCLA. Then he blew his ankle out and didn't happen. And so he comes in, and instead of going to play football at UCLA, he decided to have a life like uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, where he, would, he owned a chop shop. People would bring stolen cars to him, and he can break it down and easily make the car disappear. This was Bubba's life. As he came to college, this was Bubba's life. And Bubba lived next door to me, which was wild. My 11.30 bedtime never happened again. But Bubba became, started following Jesus, and then he started following me around. I was like, really? Great. Uh, but I took Bubba surfing once. Now, Bubba was a big dude. Bubba had a foul mouth, uh, very foul. And he would, he would make the most profound cusser blush. And, uh, and, and so it was four of us guys sitting around, and, and Bubba, so five of us. And we usually prayed before we went surfing. Uh, it was a Tuesday morning thing. And, and so I said, Bubba, will you pray for us? And he looks at me and goes, what? I said, yeah, just pray. Talk to God like he's here. And so, like you normally would, Bubba. And I was like, oh, what did I just do? Bubba prays. Dear God, blankety blank this awesome morning. Blankety, and it's just lit, just curse words down, down through the whole thing. And I'm, eyes are open going, oh no, we're all gonna drown. <laughs> this, is, this is not good. But what was Bubba doing? He was talking to God like he would. He wasn't worried about me impressing me. I was, I was leading his young adult group at that time. He wasn't worried about that. He wasn't worried about Ben's opinion. He wasn't worried about any of that. It was him and God and the most profanity-laced prayer I have ever heard. But that prayer was probably more honest and more effective than the guy in the Presbyterian church that was sitting on the beach right next door to us. No picking on the Presbyterians. But it was just, that was Bubba's honest and real heart. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And the last thing is this. Keep it up. Keep it going. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is one word about prayer. And it says, pray continually. Don't stop. Keep the conversation going. Make prayer a part of your everyday lives. In other places, Jesus commands the people to keep praying and keep pounding the door until you get the answer you're looking for. Keep it going. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. And as you do, and as we go through these next five weeks, you'll see that as you pray, it becomes easier and easier to pray because you get to know God for you. Just like a friendship, the first time you go out with a friend, it's a little daunting. You don't really know what to say. But then as you keep going out with this friend and hanging out with them, the conversation gets easier. The conversation keeps going because now you're texting when you go home. All of this happens. The same thing with prayer. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it going. This is your opportunity as Bethany Ballard to invite God into your situations. 
in essence, what we usually do is we, we, we have a prayer team and we designate four or five people to pray. But here's something different. Uh, feel your chest. Do you have a heartbeat? I hope so. Welcome. You're a part of the prayer team. You are empowered to pray for the situations about this church, for situations about the person sitting around you, for situations about people in your small group, for people who need Jesus, for the situations in your life. You are empowered and you have been given the ability to be a part of the prayer team, not just at this church, not just at the church a block away, but for the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's why you were created to communicate to God, to be his representatives to all the situations that you walk in. And I tell you something, the situations that you walk in are vastly different than the situations that I get to walk in. You bring the kingdom of God to places that I'll never be able to go to. And you become his representative saying, God, be in this meeting about this quarterly report or whatever corporate words you get to use. I don't understand that stuff. But you're part of the prayer team and you get to pray for that. What this is all leading to is as we come to Easter, you'll start to notice that your prayer relationship gets stronger. You're able to pray more continually because it becomes just a part of who you are. You don't have to stop and say, dear Lord, and all this stuff. It just becomes part of your everyday breath. And what we're going to do is the week before Easter from Monday or from Sunday, uh, 9 a.m. on April 2nd to Sunday, 9 a.m. Easter Sunday, we are looking to have 168 hours of straight prayer where you can sign up to pray for an hour and invite God into Holy Week, invite God into what's going to happen on Good Friday and Easter. And I tell you something, I've seen this happen before. And it's not just the church service that changes. It's the people who pray for that hour who has changed because they've learned to sit with God for that time. And they've learned to invite God into some places they've never thought of inviting God into. We'll know more about this. You can sign up for it today or if you want to pray about it, and you should, uh, you can know more about that later. But the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus gave a model. This is how you pray. This is what we should pray. This is why we pray. And now it's up to you. Pray. Right where you are. As we close, as Dylan comes back up with with Faith and Emma, what's the one situation that comes to your mind right now that's been bugging you? And you're afraid to pray for it. Maybe it's because one of these barriers, you just never can stay awake long enough to pray for it. Or you've been praying and praying and praying and nothing's happened. What's that one thing that the barrier is standing? Maybe you don't have the words for it. You can't think of the right words. What's the one thing that you can just sit there where you are And in one sentence, say, God, be here. You don't have to ask him to do anything. His presence changes the world. All you have to do is invite him to say, this is, would you please be present here with that person in this room, in that situation, in that car right now, in that hospital room right now. Would you be present? And we know that he hears it, he responds, and we get to sit back and watch because we prayed for it. Would you pray with me and then 
take your time of silence to pray for that. And communion's available over here on my right, your left, uh, when you're ready, if that is something that you'd like to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we invite you to be a part of our lives. You desire to be a part of our lives. You desire to be with your creation. And so, Lord, as the situations are being thought of in this room of, of where your presence is needed, God, I pray that you would be there. with that child, with that doctor. Lord, may your presence be in the darkest of places. God, we invite you to be a part of our lives today.